Ecclesiastes chapter 4 this morning as we conclude our service. Ferris, Lord Jesus, we do long to worship you. Thank you so much for helping prepare our hearts for the hearing of God's word. For those of you who are guests, we like to take one book at a time in the morning service of the Bible and, and preach through it. Um, I always hesitate to use the word share or um, relay or guide us through the scriptures because the Bible says we are to preach and proclaim it. Amen. Uh, we uh, preach and proclaim God's truth. We herald it as the inspired, preserved word of God. Uh, but it does include some explanation and some discussion and some application uh, as well. So We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 4, and we've divided this chapter up into four sections. We've preached through the first two, and we've discussed um, how to navigate our way through oppression and to understand comfort uh, in oppression. We've talked about a lack of rest in our lives, and Sometimes life can become imbalanced when it comes to competition and, and rivalry and, and we can busy ourselves to the point of exhaustion, unnecessary exhaustion, and we discussed a balance in relationship to that last week and we find ourselves now coming to the next section together which discusses companionship, the importance of companionship in, in a world where isolation seems to reign in our culture. What does the Bible say about our need for companionship? So if you would join me, um, again, verse 7. Let's read together these next few verses, and then we'll conclude chapter 4 when we gather next Sunday. Solomon says, Then I looked again at vanity under the sun. There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, Yet there was no end to all of his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, And for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity and a grievous task. Verse 9 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls... The one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three stands, and it is not quickly torn apart. Did you ever contemplate the reality that God's never been alone? God is eternal. And so is God the Son and God the Spirit. They've had no beginning, they'll have no ending. And they have forever enjoyed fellowship with one another. God's never been alone. Therefore, the Godhead's never been lonely. 
you remember back to creation week? In addition to the Godhead, there were angels that were spoken into existence. And the Lord enjoys the service and the song of those angels as those angels enjoy the worship together of the Lord. Creation week continues. And Adam's created. And in that sinless state in the garden, God says something. It is not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve. And Eve satisfied Adam. But God wasn't done there yet. Even in that sinless state, what did God do with Adam and Eve in the garden? He walked with them. He did not leave them alone. Two is better than one, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. God did not create us as his image bearers with the desire to be alone. That's in a sinless state. Even when sin came into the world, and it separated fellowship of Adam and Eve from their creator... God did not desire for them to be alone in that state, even though they're together. God pursued, didn't he? God was able to provide through sacrifice, the acceptance of that sacrifice, prophetically in relationship to his coming son, a restoration of Adam and Eve back to himself. He did not desire for them to be spiritually alone, certainly not practically alone. Again, it's his image bearers. There's no desire in our lives that's healthy, that's healthy, that desires to be in isolation, to be away from others. You say, I like it better there because I'm not a people person. I'm more comfortable by myself than I am with others. Well, I hear you, and I understand that for sure. As a, as a mere man myself, but just as it's impossible for man to deny the existence of God because they're made in his image, no matter how much they want to explain God out of their life or out of existence, they can't. The desire for you to be with others will always be there because you're created in God's image and God's never been alone. Nor has God ever desired to be alone. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was born into a family who desired to be with him, right? We find him at 12 years old, disappeared from his parents and his mom frets and finds the Savior in the temple, instructing. The Bible tells us in Luke 2.52 that even our Savior, our perfect Savior, was not born to be alone. He was born into a family. And beyond that family, the text tells us that Jesus grew up in wisdom and favor and stature with God and man. Spiritually, obviously physically, 
Socially, academically, Jesus grew up with people. Obviously inside of his family and outside of his family. Jesus lived a life of obedience with people. Jesus even went to the cross of Calvary with people. Jesus lived a life of relationship with others. Whether it was a time of glory in his life or a time of agony, he did not seek to be alone. Do you remember Matthew chapter 26? I believe it's verses 36 to 41. You can check that out on your own. The Lord Jesus Christ is facing the hour of his death. And he goes into the garden to pray. And he brings the disciples with him. And he asks the group to stay behind and pray. And then he takes three of the disciples with him even further so that he would not be alone while he prayed. Even the testimony of the life of Jesus, who is God, who was never alone in eternity, practically tells us it's not good to be alone humanly in our daily existence. We're not created to be alone. The passage that we just read teaches us of someone who's alone, who's without a dependent. What that means in the language of this text is simply he did not even have a spouse or a child. The text says that there's a couple different ways in which he ran them all off. The text talks about self-inflicted loneliness, which is even more difficult for us to understand because God created us not to want to be alone as his image bearers, but yet, by the way we act sometimes, we can move ourselves into isolation. And we'll study here in a little bit exactly how that happened. But even as believers, in Romans chapter 12, when we're happy, we're supposed to be happy together. We rejoice with those who rejoice. When we're hurting, we weep with those who weep. When we're fallen, what does the book of James tell us? Confess your faults to one another so that you might be healed. Whether in glory or in agony, or whether walking or falling, God never intended us to, to be alone. There's over 20 different one another's in the New Testament. You've probably studied them. You've probably heard series of messages on them, quite possibly in the way we walk together with the Lord and then with one another is just really a visual example of God's will for us to not do anything spiritually or practically exclusively alone. Alone. In our fallenness, psychologists, professionals tell us that depressed people want to be alone. And, and then when they're alone... That only increases their depression. Right. I've got three post-high school graduate degrees, but I do not have a degree in professional psychology. I am not a PhD. 
in psychology. I would never label nor seek to label anyone in any condition. But I will tell you from pastoral experience and from what we've discussed in the Word of God so far about loneliness and what else we'll discuss about loneliness, that the suicide rates among our young people are so much more exponentially high in the last decade because the wicked one knows how to quarantine people from people. God didn't create children to be alone, but kids are alone a lot, aren't they? Kids aren't strong enough. And boy, your heart just, you just weep. Because I know as a pastor, one of the reasons why kids struggle like this is because there's no one with them there to help them through their struggle and they'll spend six, eight, ten hours, sometimes a whole day, half a week, a week. Some kids I've known for a month caring for themselves, or longer, they're alone. And their little hearts, God's created to be with somebody. Life's too complicated for kids to figure it out alone. It's too complicated for us to figure out alone. What's the first thing that they instruct teenagers to do as they mourn the loss of a schoolmate who's taken their life? What's the first thing that man created in the image of God does? We have provided counselors for you. Don't be alone. Man knows. They know. Parents, why is it not wise for us to allow our children to recluse themselves to their room with their screen for hours at a time to be alone? God didn't create them to be alone. Typically, that's why when they go to their rooms, they're on their screen or before a screen trying to relate somehow, yet unpoliced. And unguarded. But they're doing it by themselves. God didn't create them to do that. Create them to be with people. First Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us that together we grow each other in God's word. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 16 through 16. Again, in a local church context, we, we are growing up into the Lord Jesus Christ. And every soul here is essential to providing another soul an understanding of who Jesus is through his word. And we do this together. Acts chapter 4 tells us that we are to pray together. 
2 Timothy chapter 4 says that we are to listen to the proclamation of God's word together. Hebrews chapter 11 says that we ought not to become minimalistic in our approach to gathering together, but to increase more and more the more wicked our culture becomes. Got to be together. Unto spiritual and eternal purposes. Well, as we've already stated from our passage and other scriptural examples, isolation in the Bible is to be guarded against, but can also be self-inflicted. I've seen this happen. You've seen it happen over and again in our own families and sometimes even in church, maybe even at work. And if we're not careful in isolation, we can become commercials, one author said, for the type of life described in the last verse of the book of Judges where every man does that which is right in his own eyes. What are the dangerous pitfalls of self-inflicted loneliness that we need to guard ourselves against right here in the text? What does he say here? Then I looked again at the vanity under the sun. This first phrase just tells us that self-inflicted loneliness or personal isolation is a human problem. Then I looked again just tells us, you know, this is something that's been going on for a long time since the fall. And only God's wisdom can help steer us away from this isolation reality. Your life does have a habit to it. The rhythm of your life could be out of rhythm with the balanced life that God wants us to live in relationship to this particular matter, isolation and loneliness. The text goes on to say, as we've already read, there was a certain man without a family member. Why? Verse 8 explains a couple reasons why. He was a workaholic. He was a workaholic. Verse 8. There was no end to his labor. He was greedy. He was a workaholic and he was working for all the wrong reasons, right? The last part of verse 8 says what? Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches. And so he had compartmentalized himself as a workaholic and an envious, greedy person away from even a family member. And Solomon says here, he didn't even have time or grant himself time to be considerate of others. He says here, and he never asked, and for whom am I working? And why am I working so much I'm not even able to enjoy pleasure? And so Solomon's painting for us here somewhat of a psychologically confused individual. He's seeking to be rich, but then leaving himself no time to take his riches and even enjoy pleasure. This is one confused guy or gal. Self-inflicted loneliness. The imbalance that consumes the competitor's life and the 
solitary that can invade the life of the oppressed even that we've already studied earlier in chapter 4 can leave both living in relative obscurity. We saw that the oppressor is alone. We saw that the competitor is alone. Now we've seen someone who continues to be a greedy workaholic as being alone and this is not wise at all. Walter Kaiser in his commentary says this, escape from competition may be temporary solution because then one has to cope with loneliness. In neither place is a place where a believer should live long. Highly competitive people, no balance. Right? Loneliness, there's no balance. Living in isolation is spiritually unwise. One author said the purposeful life is lived among, with, and in constant consideration of others. What are some of the blessings of the life lived with others? We read that in the text, didn't we? Solomon says in verse 9, two are better than one. Verse 10 tells us that if you have at least two, you have assistance. There's three things here that living life and the rhythms of your life in tandem with someone else or others spiritually provides three things. Verse 10, assistance. Verse 11, comfort. And verse 12, defense. And it's pretty simple, right? Pretty easy to see here. Verse 10, assistance. For if either of them falls, the other one will lift them up. Verse 11, comfort. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. And defense is pretty clearly seen in verse 12. And if one can overpower him who is alone, who can resist him? A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Assistance, comfort, defense. It's just better to be with somebody. I was preaching in Florida uh, for a church a few years back, and the pastor had a very important deacons meeting, leaders meeting, in a Saturday evening. And he says, well, we're in Orlando. We've got a lot of people in our church that work for Disney. And um, someone's going to meet you at the front gate, and you can go by yourself to the Magic Kingdom tonight. So I got kind of excited, right? So I went. I got to the, I walked down Main Street. I got to the end of Main Street, and I said, this is the most miserable experience of my life. No one can go to Disney alone and be happy. You just want to experience it with somebody, right? Did you see that? Were you talking to the pole next to you? Oh my goodness, wow, did you see? I was there for 45 minutes and left. I couldn't handle it. I didn't want to go on a ride together. Who do you enjoy it with, right? Tigger wasn't going to go with me. My favorite character next to Tinkerbell, right? No one, the characters weren't going to go with me. I was alone. It's a miserable existence. Um, we had a lot of acorns fall last year. Did you have a lot of acorns fall in your yard? Like I'd never seen before. Rake and rake and rake and rake. Thousands, no exaggeration. We didn't get all of ours, right? Through the winter, they planted themselves. So in our backyard, starts to grow up, right? Conservatively, about 200 new oak trees, right? Have you ever tried to pull up an oak tree even though it's in baby form? It's not very easy. 
So we went out there, Ron and I went out there together, and we're both individually working on pulling up our little oak trees, these little saplings, right? And she's got a little hand shovel, and I'm trying to work with my hands, and it's miserable doing this alone. I'm hearing her grunt, and she's, oh, my hands are getting tired, and she's just on her third tree, <laughs> right? So I went into the barn, and I got out the big shovel, and I said, you know what? I'm going to go do this with her. I am going to scoop and lift up, and she can pull out the acorn and the taproot, right? And so recently, we covered about 150, and we got about 50 more to go, right? But she said, you know what? This is a whole lot easier together. Then Emma came out a little bit later, and she joined us, and, and we got to know each other a little bit better through different conversations when you have when you're pulling up taproots and all this kind of stuff. Assistance, comfort, and defense. God did not create us to be alone spiritually, certainly practically. Our Creator supports each of us when we cooperate and enjoy companionship with each other. He says that if you can gain more than one to walk through life with, that's even better. I find it amazing, even in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 32, when Paul's addressing the single person in the church of Corinth, he's saying your singleness does not equal loneliness. He said your singleness is an opportunity for togetherness. Paul was married at one point. At this particular time, he wasn't. And he said, the advantage of my singleness is togetherness with the flock of God. There's like so much more I can do because I'm not entangled in the, in, in the web of marriage, so to speak. And I'm not, I'm not confined to the obligations domestically that others who are, are. Even singleness is an opportunity for greater togetherness. God didn't create us or recreate us to be alone. There's an eternal purpose for you, and then there's an eternal purpose for your family that flows over and cascades into the eternal purpose of the local church. God saved you to spiritually use you for eternal purposes together with the flock. He gifted you to use those gifts inside the local church for the good of the flock. I've put something down all over my notes and even in my Bible as a reminder to me in relationship to guarding myself against isolation and loneliness. And this is what I put. It may sound somewhat silly to you, but this is what I wrote. I never want to do me at the expense of we. I never want to pursue what I want to pursue at the expense of pursuing it together with others. We live in, Amer in an America that is very, very individualistic and increasingly so. Just get on your phone and look at what parents are teaching their children to become in athletics. You be great. You be elite. You be the best that you can be. And that's really Americanism. That's certainly a significant part of the American dream. You go be you. 
at the expense of who? And then at the expense of what? What's your purpose? Individualism leads to pursuing things that are of temporary nature. When we do things together in Christ, we do things of an eternal nature and purpose. So I never want to do me at the expense of we. As a pastor, if I am, then I'm not doing a good job shepherding you, especially unto eternal purposes, because we want to do these together. Ian Provan in his commentary says this, and I close. Everything depends, of course, on what our goals are. Where are we going? Much of our Western culture answers this question individualistically rather than communally. Whether in secular terms, I'm headed to the fulfillment of my dreams, or in religious terms, I'm headed for heaven. The two sets of goal are in practice often perceived to be perfectly compatible allowing significant participation in the American dream while still keeping alive the hope of an eternal welcome. The Bible will have none of this, he says. God's word does teach us that individuals are precious to him, and it is from this wellspring that our modern individualism arises. Yet the Bible does not understand this preciousness as somehow residing within the human frame itself which is simply dust and grass, but only in the relatedness of the human being to God, who made him or her and bestowed his image upon them. The individual in relationship to God, or in relation to God, is at the same time inseparable, biblically, from those other individuals who as creatures are also in relation to God. This is why biblically it is impossible to drive a wedge between being in a right relationship with God and being in a right relationship to our neighbors. The one involves the other. So, the secular individualism that is often apparent in our modern culture, which has everything to do with self-sufficiency and self-fulfillment and little to do with worship of God and spiritual responsibility, has nothing in the end to do with the Bible. Even the religious individualism that places a great emphasis on one's devotion and relationship to God, but does not place emphasis on relationship with others in the local church has little to do in the end with the Bible. You need to be willing to walk with somebody. Anybody who is somebody in Christ needs another buddy to walk with. Two are better than one, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for the simplicity of your word. As Solomon gives us these timeless principles and truths in relationship to self-inflicted isolation or isolation itself, which is never good our human condition. Lord, your word, as we've already studied this morning, just through communion, teaches us that sin isolates us from God. 
And that's not good. But God gave His Son to bring us back into friendship with Him so that we could walk with Him. Lord, you've given us this company of redeemed, blood-bought, saved people. Isolating ourselves from one another is not good. And you've given us your word to instruct us how we can together be molded into the likeness of your son while we together do that which you've called your church in this time to do. Spread your gospel to a world that needs it, but we do it together. Great example we saw even in day camp this week. We do this together. So Lord, individually or corporately, I pray that we would learn from these truths this morning unto eternal purposes. And Lord, for those of us who still struggle with self-inflicted loneliness, maybe it's The text says being a workaholic or just constantly living in need of things for things' sake. Pray that you convict our hearts and bring us back into a balance so that we would understand what fellowship and relationship with you and your people unto eternal purposes really is. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.